Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God. It contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Back to Know Your Bible. Happy that you're with us today. Glad you're ready to study the Bible. We're going to see if we can answer some of your questions today, and we're happy to take more of your questions today. That's the way this program works. There's a phone number and a website on the screen all the time. Use those anytime. Leave us a message or uh, call while the operators are there during the program, uh, however you want to get in touch with us. If you give us an email on the website, you'll get an answer a lot quicker uh, by the email, but uh, we will get your question on the air as soon as we can get it. We're always behind because of taping ahead and, and other things, but we, we'll, we'll get to it. We get great questions every week. Looking forward to you telling us what you'd like us to discuss on Know Your Bible. I'm Steve Tandy and my partner is Toby Levering. Good morning, part Toby. Hi, Hi Steve. <laughs> glad you're here. Good morning, partner. Yeah, hi, partner. We're glad you're here and ready to go. Um, <laughs> we've got some good ones coming up, but our viewers always get the first crack. So uh, here's one for our viewing partners. Uh, how many brothers did Joseph have? And I'll give you a bonus one this week. How many of them were full brothers? A little bit of uh, sibling information here. So we'll give you the answers to both of those at the end of the program. Uh, Joseph's brothers and how many were full brothers. So uh, we'll check you out at the end of the program. All right, Toby, I think you get to start us off today. I have a question on prayer. Why does God answer some prayers and not others? And my answer to that is because God knows best. And... Um, you know, you probably, maybe you have or have not heard the saying that uh, God answers pr prayers in, with three ways, yes, no, or wait. Now, uh, when we pray for something, we always want the yes answer. Otherwise, why are we asking? Um, but there's two other answers, and those are, those are legitimate answers from a God who loves you, who cares for you, who knows what's best for you, and, by the way, knows things that you don't know. And so, uh, uh, the famous, uh, not written by a theologian, but a uh, good song is, uh, uh, talks about one of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Well, they're not unanswered, but they're answered in a way that we didn't want. And that's kind of what prayer is about. Prayer is not uh, some magical formula uh, that, you know, that uh, God is a, a genie in a lamp that we just kind of you know, do a little thing and, and he does exactly our bidding. That's not the point of prayer at all. Um, prayer is to uh, build your relationship with God, to show that you trust him, uh, and to show that you believe uh, that he knows what's best. And he wants you to ask for things. But think about this from a human perspective. If you have children, your children probably ask you for many things. My children do. Uh, do you give them everything that they want? You know, if we're up to my children, they would never have a bedtime and they would uh, eat all the junk food that they could have. And um, I don't let them do those things. Why? 
because I don't love them? Certainly not, <laughs> because, because I know it's not good for them. I know they need to eat good food. I know they need to get the rest. Uh, I know other things that they don't fully know yet. Well, to a much greater degree, God knows things that you and I don't know. And uh, so when we pray, we ask God, we entrust God uh, with the things that we want. Um, it is not about bending God's will to ours. It's about bending our will to God's. Um, the best example of this, of course, is Jesus uh, when he prayed famously in the garden the night before he was crucified. He prayed, and he prayed earnestly, sincerely. Perhaps you prayed earnestly and sincerely for something. Um, uh, but here's what he prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, this this coming persecution, the, the, the crucifixion that he was going to face in just hours. Um, nevertheless... Not my will, but yours be done. Okay? He poured out his will to the Father. He said, if there's any way you can make this happen without me having to go through what I'm going to have to go through, not just the physical torture of the cross, but the spiritual separation from his Father, Christ didn't want to do that. and That, that was going to be a painful uh, on, on both the physical and spiritual level. But when he prayed, Jesus understood what often takes us uh, a while to understand understand that when we pray, it's about bending our will to God's. And so we ask for what we want, but we, with that, we say, Father, we trust you. We believe you know what's best. And so in all things, we bend our will to yours. And if you answer different from what we want, we trust uh, that's because you know things that we don't fully know. So God answers all prayers, uh, not always in the way that we want, uh, but in, however he answers, you can be 100% sure that it's exactly the right answer. All right. Viewer wants to know about getting married here. And the viewer question is, we are elderly and want to get married. But government guidelines would make it financially impossible to get by. What should we do? Well, let me say that's a hard question. Uh, let me say I sympathize with you. Uh, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I agree that it is unjust. Uh, the government should not punish marriage. Uh, but we've got a lot of laws that do punish marriage. Uh, people look at financially what taxes and uh, other restrictions would happen if, if two people with two separate incomes uh, became a married couple. Uh, the way the laws are written, it punishes you. It makes it, like our viewer said, financially difficult or impossible even. Uh, so our viewer says, what do we do about this? We want to get married, but the government makes it where we can't afford it. Uh, okay, it's a hard question, but I think there are two clear principles, uh, not easy principles, but clear principles. Uh, number one, we're supposed to obey the government. Uh, we have to obey the government laws and uh, trying to get around them somewhere uh, to circumvent them uh, illegally. Now, certainly if there's a legal, we call it loophole, but if it's in the law, it's not a loophole, it's a law. Uh, if you can find a, a way legally to do it, fine, but uh, to do it illegally, it's, it's like cheating on taxes. We're, Christians just shouldn't do that. Uh, so we need to obey the government. Uh, and I'd say the second principle is that uh, the principle of faith. If you're Christian, uh, you trust not in what you can see. You trust that God will take care of you. 
if you truly believe it is God's will uh, that you get married, uh, God's not going to let you starve to death. Uh, I don't know how he will work it out, uh, but if you have faith in God and truly believe his will is for you to marry, then uh, you got to have some faith there. So, like I said, I know that's easy for me to say here on TV and a lot harder when you're looking at a Social Security check or something else that's your only income. Uh, it's really hard to have that kind of faith. But Christians are called to live by faith. So, difficult question, not an easy answer, but obey the government and have faith in God and uh, do what you truly believe His will is and He'll take care of you. All right, a question about uh, a term that we use. Why do you often refer to the story from the Bible? That sounds like it's, it is fiction. Well, we probably do use the word story uh, from time to time. Uh, a story can be, uh, there, there's fiction stories and there's <clears throat> non-fiction stories. There's uh, fairy tales and there's autobiographies. Uh, there's uh, there's books on history, which is a, is a, a story, <laughs> uh, an account of maybe a, a war or a heroic event or something that happened. Um, so the word story in and of itself is not bad. I always should clarify uh, if we're you know certainly referring to God's word, we don't in any way mean to insinuate that any part of it is false. We don't believe that. We believe it's all true and it's all divinely inspired. Uh, the Word actually contains both kinds of stories. Uh, there are uh, lots of lots of history, uh, lots of uh, personal accounts, uh, some autobiographical in nature. Um, so the Bible contains all sorts of, of these kind of uh, genres, but it's all true. It's all divinely inspired. Uh, the, the stories that uh, are what we would call fiction stories, uh, things that, that didn't happen were stories that were t often told, a parable to, to make a point. Um, the, the, the prophet uh, Nathan told a story to make a point to King David that he was sinning against the Lord. Uh, he told that story um, to make David think differently and get an outside perspective of his sin with Bathsheba. And the story angered the king so much, uh, then he said, you got to find this guy who did such a thing. It's terrible. It's evil. And uh, Nathan looked right at him and said, you, you are the man. Um, Jesus told parables, and he did those with the same purpose. He told uh, earthly stories with a, with a heavenly meaning is one definition of a parable. Uh, he told parables often. Uh, to explain principles that would probably be a little more challenging uh, for his audience to uh, to accept or acknowledge or fully get. So there there's useful power in stories. A good story can really change a heart and change a life. But if we use that on this program, uh, speaking of the, the story, you might say, uh, refers to the, the timeline of the relationship between God and human beings. Let's look at a scripture from Matthew. Uh, which talks about Jesus' use of story or parables. Uh, Matthew 13, 34, and 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter uh, what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So 
Uh, we'll probably use the word story every once in a while, but we do not mean at all that we don't believe that it's fiction, okay? <laughs> yeah, when, uh, when that question first came in, I remember thinking about it. And I looked up story, the definition, and it does have a little slant toward fiction. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it also can be true, but uh, the definition's all got a pretty strong fictional kind of content to it. Uh, so my conclusion was, yeah, maybe we ought to say account more yeah. often. Uh, we ought to say there's an account in the Bible about this, and uh, maybe it, that sounds a little more like we believe it's true, although we do believe it's true, no matter what we <laughs> what sure. we call sure. it. So I understand the viewer's uh, point, and we probably ought to try to say account a little more often. All right, let me invite you to study the Bible with us. And I know we're doing that now for 30 minutes, but we don't get much Bible covered in 30 minutes. Uh, we advocate home Bible study, personal Bible study, and got some tools to help you. Here's a course of eight lessons that uh, lead you through the Bible and some of the great topics of the Bible. Start with the Old and New Testament. Then here are four other courses that uh, you can take and uh, go through lesson by lesson and learn about the whole life of Jesus, learn about the book of Acts, uh, learn about lots of things with our study tools, and we're happy to provide those absolutely free of charge. Uh, we also have some online lessons that we're happy to tell you about, and you can get those yourself. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and uh, they'll ask you a few questions and get you signed up, and you can start studying online. So all those ways to study, if you want a print course, just uh, call us on the 800 number there or log on to the website, tell us you'd like a free Bible study and we'll get it started for you. You can know your Bible a little bit better. All right, let's see what do we got next. Uh, since we will appear before God to be judged for everything we've done, thought, or failed to do, well, we have to answer for sins we committed after becoming a Christian. Well, interesting question. And I think part of the problem here is our <clears throat> concept of the judgment sometimes. We, we, we get this idea in our head uh, that uh, the great white throne is going to be there. Uh, Jesus is going to be behind the throne and there's going to be a great big pair of golden scales uh, and he's going to put all the bad things in one side and all the bad things in the other and uh, list them off and read our life record. And at the end of it, we're going to see if the, the good outweighs the bad a little bit or the bad outweighs the good. Uh, that's kind of a interesting picture, but that's not Bible. Uh, that's not the way the Bible says the judgment is going to go. It does say we'll be judged by what we've done here on earth. Uh, but the story of salvation, the story of grace uh, that Paul tells so well in Romans uh, ends with a story that he, he kind of summarized for us. Uh, and let's just read what he said in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 after he's explained grace. He says, therefore, there's now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay? So if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've been saved by grace, Paul says there's no condemnation. Uh, yes, we sin 
after we've become a Christian. Uh, in fact, John says if we say we have no sin, we're liars. Uh, we still mess up. But John explains what happens. First John 1 John 1.7 is a great verse. It says, if we're walking in the light, if we're in Christ, then the blood of Jesus purifies us, cleanses us from all sin. And the Greek word there means continually cleanses us. Uh, so the blood of Jesus takes care of those sins uh, when they happen. We're, we're forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, I don't know exactly how the judgment's going to work. Uh, I, I believe that those who are in Christ uh, will be going to the new heaven and the new earth uh, with Jesus and with God. Uh, we'll spend eternity there. Now, during the judgment, everything might come up. I don't know. Uh, but if it does, if he reviews every detail in our life, at the end of it, we're going to understand, okay, even though all that happened, this person's in Christ. And there's no condemnation for all that. Uh, so we're going to understand perfectly at the judgment. I, I don't know how he's going to handle it. And uh, I'm not too worried about that because of Romans 8, 1 and 2. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All right. A question, a, kind of a moral question. Is it a sin to go to a bar to just listen to music without drinking or smoking? Well, uh, I guess... If I were to just analyze it based on how you described it and that alone, I would say technically it's not a sin to, you know, do as you as you say. Uh, my second question to you would be, uh, what good can come from it? Um, I can think of a whole lot of bad that can come from it. And so we'll look at those scriptures because scripture is pretty clear. Uh, you know, you can't make a list of every situation, and, but it gives us some principles to abide by. And uh, let's look at these principles together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Okay. You've got to give thought to your example, how it influences others. Uh, you know, I ask you this, the, the question, maybe think of, uh, uh, would it bother you if you went in the bar and you saw Steve and I in there just just doing exactly as you say, just uh, just listening to music, not drinking, not smoking. Would it cause you to go, wait a second, those are the guys who know your Bible. What are they doing here? <laughs> well, why would you do that? Well, because you understand the power of example. Uh, even people who are not Christ followers, right? There's kind of a, you know, they, they understand that, you know, if you see that kind of behavior, you just assume everybody in the group is... is uh, endorsing that behavior. So we need to give thought to our example and our influence, and you need to think about people who look to you as a Christian. Uh, Ephesians 4.27 says, give no opportunity to the devil. Okay? Um, there's, <laughs> the closer you get to evil, um, there's going to be opportunities, right? That, you know, and so uh, our goal in Christ when we think of any moral situation is do I want to, do I want to get do I want? To, I definitely don't want to cross the line, but how close can I get to the line? That's that's kind of the wrong mindset. Okay, 
there may not be drinking and smoking there, but there may, may there, there, there may be drinking and smoking, and you may not participate, but there certainly would be the temptation to participate, the peer pressure, the seeing other people doing it, and somebody offers you, oh, come on, you know, have a drink, and, you know, uh, th- those kind of things are going to happen. You're giving opportunity to the devil. Uh, when you when you see evil, uh, you should uh, do this third principle from First Thessalonians five: flee from the very appearance of evil. Uh, take takes uh, the story of Joseph. Okay, when he uh, when Potiphar's wife came in the room, he he refused to even be with her because she he knew she was bad news. He wasn't going to do anything wrong, but he knew that when she was there, there was an opportunity and there was the appearance of evil. Um, the New Testament calls men specifically to live above reproach. So live in such a way that nobody can even throw the accusation, right, um, that something's wrong. So some, some principles, technically what you say, a person could go, yep, and not participate and not technically sin, uh, but there's a whole lot of opportunity for other things to happen. And uh, in general, we should flee from, from evil and we should flee from temptation. So hope that helps you. Okay, I probably shouldn't know, but while you were talking about me and you listening to music in a bar, I thought there's probably some Pharisee out there that's thinking, that'd be all right as long as it's an a cappella bar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know. I can't even reply to that. <laughs> no, you don't need to. Probably shouldn't have said it in the first place. All right, let's talk about angels. <laughs> if you, If we were made a little lower than the angels... Will we be higher than the angels in heaven? Uh, Well, the Bible does talk about man being made a little lower than the angels. Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, Psalmist said, What is man? Uh, You made him a little lower than the angels. So our viewer asked, Well, okay, when we get to heaven, do we get promoted? Uh, (laughs) Do we get to be above the angels? I have no idea. Uh, The Bible doesn't give us an organization chart, doesn't tell us the hierarchies of things in heaven. Uh, I cannot imagine myself uh, giving orders to Michael, the archangel, uh, telling him what to do, but I don't think that'll be a, a problem. I think it'll all work out fine. Uh, the eternal kingdom is going to be so different uh, than anything we imagine, uh, than anything we can imagine, uh, that I don't think it's going to matter. Uh, we're just going to be so happy to be there in the presence of God that we're not going to care uh, what rank anybody's got and whether we're higher than angels or lower than angels or how all that'll work. So Bible doesn't say, uh, don't think it matters. We invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program's produced by Churches of Christ, supported by a number of them, and we like to mention some each week. Today, let me mention some south of Wichita, where the uh, Know Your Bible originates from, the uh, church in Derby and church in Wellington are both strong supporters of the program Know Your Bible, and we appreciate them. Uh, If you live in one of those areas or close to one and looking for a church home, uh, you'd find a great group of folks at either the Derby Church of Christ or the Wellington Church of Christ. They would welcome you warmly and uh, help you study your Bible and uh, worship God the way that we talk about and think about here on Know Your Bible. So uh, thanks to those two congregations and all the churches that Help us stay on air, whatever market you're in. Uh, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, drop in and visit them sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, a question about the flood. <clears throat> if everyone was killed by the flood, 
where did Noah's sons get wives to replenish the earth? Uh, this is kind of similar to the where did Cain get his wife question. Um, and the answer to that is, you know, uh, probably in terms of uh, Noah, his sons, uh, that probably came from family. Uh, it was probably nieces or something like that. And there was certainly uh, a time that elapsed as uh, as they began to go forth and multiply. But that's what they were commanded to do. Uh, Genesis chapter 9 tells us uh, the big, about the beginning of the post-flood world. And the command from God was quite clear. You be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So... Uh, we understand that was a little different world uh, of that time. Um, and the command that God gave, He was going to provide means for that to happen. So uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Uh, this is uh, pre-flood. Uh, God says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wife with you. So the uh, way I figure that is they, the sons and their wives uh, reproduced, and then from that offspring they begin to uh, go forth and multiply. So that's probably what happened, but we don't know exactly <laughs> that else. All right, if you were wanting to know about B.C. and A.D., uh, what do they really mean? And people do uh, uh, misinterpret those sometimes. Common thought is it means before Christ and after death. Uh, well, that leaves out 30 years in there. Uh, so B.C. does mean before Christ. Uh, but A.D. means, it's Latin, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So that's from his birth, not after his death. So that's the great dividing line in history uh, that humankind has agreed upon. Uh, that's how we count time, before Jesus was born uh, and after he was born. Uh, the year of our Lord was the year he was born. So B.C. and A.D., that's what they... Uh, literally mean. Now, uh, some people, uh, recently you may see some other abbreviations on times uh, instead of a thousand years B.C., uh, you might see a thousand B.C.E. Uh, that was started by folks that, that really don't want to recognize Jesus as the timeline divider in history. And so what they came up with is they'll just call it the common era uh, so BCE is before the Common Era, and uh, CE is the Common Era. So instead of saying BC and AD, they say BCE and uh, CE. Uh, now it's kind of humorous to me because they still use Jesus' birth as the dividing line. Uh, they just change the titles of it and think that somehow gets around uh, being recognizing Jesus. So. Kind of, kind of silly. I like the BCE as I like to think of it as. I know they call it before the Common Era. I like to think of it as before Christ entered. Or, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. What What was the factor that started the Common Era? You know, yep. it's kind of silly. <laughs> oh well, and men do all sorts of silly things. All right, we're out of time today, but we will get our trivia question answered. And this one's a two-parter. How many brothers did Joseph have? And how many of them were full brothers? Well, if you know the Old Testament, you know he had 11 brothers. Uh, there were 12 boys. 
sons of Israel, and only one was a full brother. That was his little brother, Benjamin, uh, had the same mother as Joseph. We're glad you've been with us today, and uh, we're going to come back next week and answer some more of your questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.